really, I think from you, we're looking for stories, like what is this like every day, right? We can talk about sort of an issue or something, but what, what does that actually look like for someone who's going through it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I want to sort of, and other people have said this too, I'm not the first one, but that it feels like a form, a, a modern form of slavery, right? Like the, the technology of cha- has changed where people used to be shackled, you know, as, as property. But like you said, you're, you're not under any supervision anymore, but they're still keeping track of what you do and they're still exerting control over you, power. Um, sure. And so I think, I, I'd be curious, does that, does that resonate with you? What would be an example you could give us of, you know, what that actually looks like every day for you, how it, how it might limit the way you live? But I I think, I think your feelings are also important. Yes. You're sort of dealing with it all the time, but what does that then do psychologically, you know, for you also? Okay. So let me read something to you if I could. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So here we go. So this is the letter that I have. This is how I live regularly. And it makes you want to run. So this is what it tells me. This paper tells me that you have you have allowed your GPS tracking bat- device battery to deplete on a consistent basis for lengthy periods of time over the last several months. As a reminder, please review the following. And then it has authority. Wisconsin statute, Wisconsin statute 0507, Act 20, Department to place certain sex offenders on lifetime GPS upon their release from prison. Um, And then it comes down here and it says penalty. Whoever intentionally tampers with a GPS tracking device or comparable technology provide under the the Wisconsin 946-465 is guilty of a felony, a, a class I felony, punishable up to three years in prison or $10,000 in fines. It comes down here to be in compliance with Wisconsin 30148, you must charge your bracelet tracker daily to full capacity, one to two hours to maintain an uninterrupted GPS signal. It is recommended you charge your unit for two hours each day Please understand if you are found to be in non-compliance with Wisconsin, you may be referred to your county's district attorney office and recommended for felony charges. So in my mind, if in fact I'm done with supervision, I've done my time, I've done everything that's asked of me. Now, if I don't do you're asking me to be on this bracelet for the remainder of my life, first and foremost. And you're also saying this is not even punishment. Now, in my, in my mind, the question has to be asked, what American, if you have all your liberties, lives like? Yep. They don't. It don't happen. And so because of all of those things, like, I, I didn't have the police show up to my door. Guess when they come to the door, guess why they come to the door? They, they only come to the door and they ask me, and, and this is two, two police cars. 
They only come to the door, oh, can we see your ankle? So I had to put my ankle outside of my door so they can see. There's nothing wrong with the bracelet. I haven't cut it off in any way, shape, or form. You're listening to the Justified Anger Podcast. We are going to be hearing from Aaron Hicks throughout this series as he shares his experience with electronic monitoring. He has to wear the ankle monitor for the rest of his life unless he wants to leave his family and the state that he calls home. This is Eli Steenlich. I'm Aaron Hicks, and you're about to hear some Justified Anger. But again, what American lives like that? The police just shows up to show up. Just to check on you? But those rights weren't taken from me when I was sentenced in any way, shape, or form. So how have, now that I'm back in the community, how have I lost all of these rights? And how are they able to just pop up at my house anytime they want to? Yeah, I mean, do you feel like that's accurate? Do you feel that way sometimes, this comparison to when maybe people were uh, enslaved in in history and now you're continually sort of kept track of? Do you feel like this is a modern equivalent of that? Yeah, it's definitely modern. It's definitely modern day slavery. And it's very abusive. It's abusive of power. And again, more than anything, it's directed towards a specific group of people. Like not being able to vote, not being able to carry arm, like all of those things, that's a lot. And we talking about, we're we not talking about for a month or a year. These liberties, they taking stuff for the rest of your life. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's no opportunity. So, so it, it, it's like you, it's like you, you, you never have that opportunity to move on. You have, you never have that opportunity to grow. Uh, more than anything, um, it's definitely modern day slavery at its finest. One of the things that happened to African-Americans early in America's history is an often forgotten business plan that was very successful for the people in power in the early 1800s, and white people continue to benefit from today. The slave migration was a calculated endeavor where African-Americans were rounded up, shackled, and chained in lines to be marched from the tobacco south to the cotton south to help fuel the cotton industry. Slave dealer firms would employ stringers, headhunters who worked on commission, collecting enslaved people up and down the East Coast. In 1834, John Armfield, a partner in one of the slave firms, sat on his horse in front of a procession, armed with a gun and a whip. Other white men, similarly armed, were arrayed behind him. They were guarding 200 men and boys lined up in twos, their wrists handcuffed together, a chain running the length of a hundred pairs of hands. Smithsonian Magazine calls this the Great Missing Migration, a thousand mile long river of people, all of them black, reaching from Virginia to Louisiana. During the 50 years before the Civil War, about a million enslaved people 
move from the Upper South to the Deep South. Just as this history of masses of African Americans forcibly dragged into economic gain was overshadowed in our history by the technological advances such as the cotton gin, the shifting of economic responsibility and workforce labor has now become lost in the technological innovation and perceived freedom of electronic monitoring. Our history likes to forget who benefited from this well-run system of migration, just as it is easier to turn a blind eye to who is benefiting now from the criminalization of the black population. This new system is an economically motivated means of controlling, tracking, and exploiting the black population in America. Just as there was a physical chain drawn between the slaves and the migration, there is now a data chain that links African Americans together with GPS monitors, mitigating hidden boundaries of class, geography, and wealth. You're showing the parallel between our past and our current president, mm -hmm. and how they mimic or mirror each other. Um, where you you know where you have people being uh, rounded up and distributed to you know different cities and states and you know for certain services and that currently is going on now with that being said at that time individuals didn't have the right to vote and that same principle applies today individuals you know they they have taxation without representation which is an issue within itself anytime you know, um, you have to pay your taxes. Um, you have to do all these different things, but you don't get to determine who's in the school teaching your children. You know, who represents you, your older people. You know, who's your governor, who's your mayor. All of those things are being stripped um, again, which is displaying modern day slavery. This is what we have. This is this is what you're seeing. And we're seeing this, it's becoming um, very evident that though, you know, we're coming close up to Juneteenth and that's supposed to represent some type of liberation, some type of freedom for the people of color. But, you know, we're in 2022 and that still hasn't come. And though it may be celebrated, it still has not actually come to fruition, not in its full totality. In the most simplest terms, just wearing the bracelet itself. We know that not everyone walks around with a bracelet on that's blinking, that's beeping, that's vibrating, that all of those different things. So that in itself is just the first layer of exploitation. Anytime a person sees the bracelet, and then that in itself makes people nervous. And it also makes people ask questions right away, like what's going on? Just that in, a, in itself, in the most simplest term, your ability to sleep. Well, you can't sleep like everybody else. And if, in fact, you, you know, your leg breaks away from the charger, you know, it could be consequences and repercussions. So, so it's, it's, it's a combination of being exploited at the same time you living in fear. Because you, you, you literally have to dot your I's, cross your T's. And if, in fact, in any way, shape, or form, um, there's a malfunction, um, even if it has nothing to do with you at all, the consequences will be you will be locked up. Um, with that being said, you'll probably get back out. However, you know, that's tax money. 
you know that's people tax money that that's, that's using that for this and that's not what the jail was designed for the nature and the number of the rules and restrictions imposed on people wearing monitors sets them up for failure and reincarceration According to George Washington University Law School's report, Electronic Prisons, the Operation of Ankle Monitoring and the Criminal Legal System, technical issues and rule violations that often have nothing to do with public safety can result in a return to prison. For example, failure to keep the device charged or failure to charge it for a particular amount of time could land a person back in jail. The rules are often vague, overly broad, and open to interpretation. We could say that people are being returned to prison as a result of the system of incarceration itself. Or look at it this way. Let's say an individual's prison cell door is unlocking on its own because of a malfunction, but the incarcerated person still remains in the cell. Yet they are being punished with more prison time because the cell didn't work properly. Aaron has in fact found police showing up at his door, with him being quietly at home, unaware his ankle monitor has had an issue. That can also include extra expenses for Aaron having to go back into the court and jail system. I'm done with all my supervision. I've done everything I'm supposed to do, right? But what's interesting, and I have the right to vote, but, what I, do, but I wear an ankle bracelet. And I've been on it since 2010. And with that being said, the police can still come to my house. I still get letters threatening me. If you don't charge your bracelet, we will charge you with a, a class something felony. No crime, no anything. But if I don't do what they say, they will charge me with a felony, right? Again, that's abuse of power because I'm, I'm no longer on supervision. I have to pay $240 for the remainder of my life. Every month. Again, that's abusive. That's extremely abusive. Um, and so I share all of these different things when I talk about how, because it's, it, it's the art of manipulation. So how did we get here? where a person had completely paid their debt to the criminal justice system, but suddenly gets a tracker attached to their body for the rest of their lives. In Wisconsin, it started in 2017 when then DOC Secretary John Litcher requested simple clarification on the phrase, on two or more separate occasions. From an older state law and the resulting interpretation would wind up severely impacting past offenders. This change came in enforcement of a previous 2006 state law requiring the DOC to place certain sex offenders on lifetime GPS tracking, stemming from this new 2017 legal interpretation that considered multiple convictions resulting from the same criminal complaint, now making a person a repeat offender in the eyes of the law. The formal opinion of Attorney General Brad Schimmel to clarify the idea of multiple convictions has particular relevance for sex offenders who are often convicted on multiple counts, but having these multiple counts actually come from a single criminal complaint. The interpretation comes down to understanding someone as a repeat offender in these cases, 
suggesting more danger to the community if there are multiple convictions, which is generally the intended use of electronic monitoring. But in many cases, offenders have not had any separate, new, repeated offenses. Many argue that rather than allowing a productive return to the community, electronic monitors have instead publicly labeled and hindered the possibility of a rehabilitated life. Brittany Lee, Operations Director for Ex-Incarcerated People Organizing, or EXPO, explains more of the implications of this new interpretation. Any law person would say A.G. Schimmel, when he made the decision in 2018, was wrong. The United States just came down with wouldn't be United States, which basically says that Schimmel was wrong, meaning that two occasions is two separate times, not two separate counts. So what happened for a lot of people when they were a youth, if they got convicted, is now they've they had two convictions that were sexual, sexual in nature or whatever it was that got them on the registry. And then because it says two or more occasions that now you're on lifetime GPS. So essentially it made people lifetime criminals in one or viewed that way in one particular situation. So rather than it being like you got a conviction here and got another one later, a lot of people that ended up being impacted were younger folks who took a plea, you know, didn't even, some people didn't even go you know, get a significant amount of time in prison, they got probation, but because they have multiple counts, they now were deemed to be on lifetime GPS. And then that, that I mean, that's that's where our big, my biggest issue with among many things of why what's wrong with GPS is you have a lot of people who like have done everything they were supposed to do and then now have to be on lifetime GPS just because one person decided to interpret the law to benefit the Department of Corrections rather than think about how that impacts individuals that are now required to be on lifetime GPS. And the reality is, is either way, that's not, it's not just the way the law should be. It's, it's a frustration because it's, it's, it's what it, to me, what it shows is, it shows intent. And, and what I mean is, if in fact, like, you know, when it's time to lock people up, you can go the extra mile, you can find all the resources that's necessary to make sure this individual is locked up. When a person is, you know, we know that 90 to 95% of people who go to prison will get back out. And if that be the case, when it's time to help individuals, if in fact we're really saying, hey, you know, the goal is to protect the community, right? If in fact it really is about protecting the community, then how about we create avenues to make sure people, one, know their rights, and two, start to be acclimated back into the community in a very real and right way so that the community really is safe versus mm -hmm. just using, because what has happened now is we just, we just say, everything is about protecting the community, but nobody really questions how. How are you protecting the community? How do you send an individual at the age of 14, 15 years old to prison? He's coming home, he'll be 41. How is that protecting the community? Yeah. In what way, shape or form, how is that keeping our community safe? Make us understand that. Yep. Because if you can't make us understand that, then that's rhetoric and you're just saying some stuff um just to appease people but this is not the reality 
And the truth of the matter, the success rate of the Department of Corrections is actually really, really low. And in, the, in any other business, if that success rate was like that, that business, that company would be shut down. Aaron is talking about the effect of incarceration on individuals that our system claims to be rehabilitating. When our criminal justice and correction systems claim to be protecting our community, they are saying that they are trying to keep those impacted by the criminal justice system out of sight from the perception of proper, regular society. Instead of treating those incarcerated as ongoing members of our community, they are sidelined at almost every step in their return to society. And now, there is a new perception that electronic monitoring allows for a more normal return to the community while still completing the requirements of a sentence. Upon first appearance, being able to live at home and go to a job compared to a prison cell seems better. We want to look at whether this is the actual experience of those living with electronic monitors, like with Aaron and his own ankle monitor. No questions are being asked. No one are, is even just, you know, okay, well then why are so many people coming back to prison? If this is all supposed to work the way you say it does, we know it doesn't, but we need to look at a new plan. So it's bigger than just people with sex offenses. And I really want to say that this lifetime GPS, there are other things that people can get convicted of that put them on the registry that have nothing to do with anything sexual in nature. And we've also seen a lot of people impacted with having a, a case when they were a minor because of the two occasions. So this is where we've seen it the most. So what people don't know is in the state of Wisconsin, false imprisonment that involves a minor. So let's say you, for the, this gentleman, they had in, home invaded. Um, he got convicted of, he went to trial and had three convictions of false imprisonment based on the people who were in the house. And he got out, he found out a month after he served his 10-year sentence that he was going to be um, put on the registry for life with a lifetime GPS in the state of Wisconsin and also deemed a sex offender. And I had to write a letter to the state of Illinois so he could move there and not be required to register. You know, if, if when a person does wrong, we can, we can go all, you know, do the, all the extra stuff to make sure that they serve time and go to prison. Then when a person is doing right or needs some assistance or help, I think we should, we should go just as hard to assist a person just, just as we go as hard as to hurt a person. If, sure. if this wasn't an interview and I had a church, I would hear a whole bunch of amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Justified Anger podcast. Keep listening as we share more stories around the experience of electronic monitoring and explore the issues involved. Special thanks to Aaron Hicks, Brittany Lee, and Kamika Patel.